Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of The Hopeful Environmentalist. I'm your host, Taylor, and we're here today with another amazing episode. If I sound more happy and cheer cheery, is that a word? I don't know, than usual, it's because I'm so excited for this episode. We are going to be having three guest speakers and they are going to be talking about their experiences at COP27 and they're all youth activists from around the world. So I am so excited for this episode. I've been excited. It's been in the works for the past month and being able to coordinate this with people from all over the world has been a challenge, but so amazing and rewarding. And I'm so excited to share these experiences and it was such an awesome experience being able to hear it and hear their stories. So this will be the first one of three. So we are going to be having about eight more youth activists on for the next pretty much three consecutive Mondays. So please stay tuned for all of them because they're all so amazing. But I don't want to talk too much because this is already a lengthy episode. But again, such amazing information that you're not going to want to miss. So let's get right into it. So I'd love to introduce our very first youth activist on this special episode and the special few episodes that will be out surrounding youth activists discussing COP27. So our first guest speaker is Hannah Harrison. Hannah is a recent Cambridge graduate and now works in providing climate education for schools in Cambridge and around the UK. She's previously co-led the Sustainable Development Working Group at Generation Climate Europe working on topics including the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the EU RRPs, and Sustainable Finance, and was the Publications Coordinator at Climate Talk, where she was involved in the team's coverage of COP26. At COP27, Hannah was representing the young people of the United Kingdom as part of the UK Youth Delegation with Future Leaders Network. So I'd love to give a warm welcome to Hannah. So hi, how are you? I, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited to hear about your experience at COP. So do you mind just describing to us what your experience at COP27 was as a youth activist? Yeah, so I was at COP during the second week. Um, so I wasn't there for the World Leader Summit, but I was there for a lot of the thematic days as well as the, the closing um, of COP. Um, my experience there, uh, was, I would say predominantly one of overwhelm. Um, it was the first COP that I've attended in person. Um, and if you've been to a COP before, if you, or if you followed them online, you will kind of understand that there is a lot happening all at once everywhere. And I, I think a lot of people would agree with me when we say, you know, the events that happen at COP. Um, in the pavilions, so in the in the blue zone, um, which is where you can go if you have accreditation, they're all amazingly interesting events. Uh, they're about they may be about like climate mobility, uh, climate justice. They might be about food systems, agriculture, um, climate litigation. That like you name it, there are events going on every hour of every single day for two weeks straight, and it's about knowing where to put your time. I would say. Um, because you can't attend every everything. It's impossible. You can go to every single cop. I mean, I, I met a few people who had been to every single cop and they couldn't go to everything that they wanted to in any of them. Um 
it's about knowing where to take put your energy um as particularly for a youth activist as well i think that's particularly important um and also if you want to go into negotiation spaces it's about making sure that you as an individual have the energy to sit down and listen to what's happening um in the negotiation rooms because particularly in the uh, plenary Ramesses, which was the one of the main rooms this year, um, I sat in um, on and listened for about upwards of an hour of opening statements before any negotiations happened. Um, so it requires a lot of patience, but but it's, it's an amazing experience. Like if you ever get an opportunity to go to one, I would say take it with both hands and go because you meet lots of incredible people doing amazing things. But it's important to uh sort of manage the feelings of overwhelm that invariably you will experience there yeah I think I especially as like youth activists I think for myself I'd be so overwhelmed (laughs) because I would want to go to everything and do everything I feel like sometimes I'm like an overachiever in certain things like I'm like I can do this 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 and like even planning out I'd be like I want to go like this like I went virtually because I couldn't go in person and the virtual space I was like oh my god there's a meeting happening right now and then there's like this happening I'm like how am I going to go to everything at once like and it's impossible and I think like navigating that must have been stressful I mean I know it would be for me so did you sit in on negotiations yeah so I sat in in a plenary session um I also sat in on a it wasn't a plenary session it was um a subsidiary body um, meeting, I believe. I think I'm getting that wrong. Sorry, my brain is kind of all over the place. I returned last night, so I'm still in cop mode. Um, but I sat in on two different types of meetings. Uh, the plenary, like I just mentioned, um, I was there with um, another friend on the delegation for an hour. It was just opening statements. So each uh, party would go up and present, like um, say that they are... Uh, his or her excellency, their name, and say what their like position was or take. And it was this opening statement after opening statement after opening statement for an hour. I left for lunch, came back maybe an hour later. They were still on opening statements. And I think, you know, it, it can get frustrating. Um, I remember being sat in the room and thinking, you know, wow, this is like this is a space where decisions that affect the what eight billion people on the planet are being made. But equally, it's a space where there are lots of opening statements being given and not a lot of negotiating happening at the minute. Um, and so I think that the COP process itself can be a it can be a frustrating space, but also one way you can learn a lot. Like even though no negotiating happened when I was there in the plenary session, at least I still learned about how like slow and at times inefficient the COP process is. I mean, it's the only kind of mechanism we have for making international climate decisions and policy, but it's not a perfect one. Um, however, the the other negotiation I sat in on was very interesting. Um, there were different parties calling for different things about whether they wanted to just name coal in the in the document or whether they wanted to name fossil fuels um, to be phased down which is interesting as certain parties were were against the uh were against the latter and just wanted to name coal um and we were we were discussing as a delegation why 
why certain parties would present certain views. And I remember there was one there was one point <laughs> during this negotiation where, um, so if you're not aware, they use these brackets uh, whenever they want to edit something that is in a, a draft document or a draft decision. Um, and it got to the point where there were so many brackets being added by each party that the paragraph itself, the draft paragraph, had become completely impossible to understand because there were brackets inside brackets. Um, and so the, the chair had to pause negoti negotiations and uh, explain to everyone what the paragraph actually meant with all these brackets being added. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy place, but I think you just have to kind of go with it and just let let the process happen, especially if you're an observer, um, just kind of let the negotiations happen and then turn to civil society um, and other youth and advocate on the positions that you have. Yeah. Wow. So that sounds, I'd be very frustrated if I came back and they were only like, if I was like going to eat and then I came back and they were still like just introducing. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'd be like, what are we doing? But <laughs> So do you feel like there was a lot of greenwashing in these spaces? Yeah, I would say so. I feel comfortable enough to say this now because I'm at home. But I remember I did a, I did an interview um, just outside the Blue Zone. I, I didn't get asked about greenwashing explicitly, but I got asked about other, um, other more political statements. And to be honest, I felt really uncomfortable answering them. Uh, but now I feel like um, I can answer this, so I will... Um, I think the the biggest one, I think you're probably already aware of this, is the Coca-Cola sponsorship, which I remember seeing the, the first post when it came out and I couldn't really believe if it was like satire or if it was like a mistake. Them advertising it so broad, like so explicitly seemed a really odd choice to me. Um, and so for that reason, like, I remember I visited a climate friend not long after the announcement and then decided that I would boycott, like on a personal level at least, Coca-Cola. Um, and so I I did that throughout the conference, even though the the drinks of Coke were free. The makeup of the delegations and who, who attended, I think I read something by, um, I think it was Earthrise, that the fossil fuel delegation was like the highest, again, um, at COP27 and like larger than most African delegations or delegations of nations from Africa. And considering your COP27 was kind of marketed as like the African COP, it's kind of ridiculous. But it's not kind of ridiculous, it is ridiculous and it shouldn't be the case. Where you've got those who are advocating against action on the climate on climate that is going to, you know, help the lives of others. They're advocating against that, but they're they're in bigger numbers than the countries most affected by loss and damages, which is what this COP was all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I read something too. It was like, there was like 630 something, I could be wrong by a few numbers, but like 630 something this year of fossil fuel delegations. And then last year it was like 500 and something. So it went up by like almost 100. And that's ridiculous that they're allowing them to come into the spaces of, like the people who are causing it are coming into the spaces and being able to have a voice and talk about, oh, we should fix it like this. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> it's crazy to me. So what is like a, a takeaway, a key takeaway from COP27 that gives you hope amongst all the negative news we are seeing around it? What what gives you hope? I think there's two things. 
the first thing that, that springs to mind for me is more of a personal matter, I would say, not really aligned with like the process of COP. But I went with, um, so my delegation was with Future Leaders Network and we were representing um, UK young people, uh, their voices, their interests, uh, their positions on climate. And none of us had actually, apart from one or two of us, we, for the most part, had not met in person at all um, throughout our mandates as um, UK youth delegates um, uh, up until the COP27. So the conference was the first time that we met. Um, and I remember saying goodbye to them all at the end of the, com at the, end of, uh, the conference and leaving to go to the airport. And I was obviously in tears because I missed them already. And I think it speaks to what the, the youth climate movement is all about. And that's what gives me hope and keeps me going. It's that the, the, the relationships that we build with each other and the community that we build with each other, I think has the power to mobilize everyone because I think it stands in complete antithesis to what the status quo kind of expects of relationships. You know, it's, uh, in society, especially in the West, um, it's very like neoliberal, very like individualistic. You fend for yourself, number one, forget everybody else. But I feel as if the youth climate movement in particular, uh, I'm speaking from my, my own uh, experience within the youth climate movement, but it's completely the opposite. It's very collaborative, very lifting, very much lifting each other up. And I remember we spoke to the, one of the executive directors of WWF on Biodiversity Day, I think it was. And she was saying, it was quite refreshing for her to say this, actually. She said, if you're a youth climate activist of any age, but particularly a young one, um, one thing that you must do, and she emphasised this, you must do this, is you go in, you, not necessarily to a cop, but you go into whatever organisation or whatever advocacy you're doing, you do your thing, and then you step out. And you repeat to avoid burnout. You can't stay in full on like permanently because that is not sustainable it's necessary to have breaks and I think in terms of the delegation I was on there was a great sense of us looking after each other so for instance for me I in the evenings I used to spend uh, probably about half the evening just to myself because I needed to have that space to decompress and likewise, there were other members of the delegation who would have uh, things that they would do each evening or each morning to to prepare themselves. And that gives me hope that, you know, us coming up who are, you know, the future leaders. And the second thing that gives me hope is the work that was done on loss and damage. So there is now finance going to be given for the losses and damages caused by particularly the global north to the global south. And I use those I use those terms quite loosely. Like I, I'm not too keen on the the terms global north and global south for various reasons. But I think that's a step in the right direction. I do I think more could have been done, certainly, to, you know, for instance, the the phase down rather than phase out and the not being um not including all fossil fuels within the text. But as seen through the latest IPCC report um, the impacts of colonization and the subjugation of the world's poorest nations by 
the world's richest nations in regards to climate. And I think it's slow, but I think the COP process is slow, but it's getting there. Um, it really does, it needs to speed up, obviously, but there is an increasing understanding even from the, the most rigid of players that this needs to change because it's really not acceptable at the moment. Yeah, it's, it is a very slow process, but I really love how you brought up community because that's something I like to talk about in a lot of my episodes is how important community is, especially for youth activists, because we experience, we have so many more things at our disposal, like social media and all these amazing conferences that we have the opportunity, that people have the opportunities to go to. Um, Obviously, some people have easier times getting to these conferences, but being able to support each other. And I saw a lot of people who are giving accreditation to other people to support them in getting places. And I think it was just, I think it's amazing how much the youth supports each other and how much we're trying to and how we're moving into that direction. Obviously, we can always be more inclusive in any space, but I think it's really important that you brought that up. And I'm really glad that you had that experience and that you were able to meet your your friends that you didn't like, you know, they, they were your friends, but like you got to see them in person for the first time. I think that's really cool. And I think that's kind of what some of these spaces should be saved for is saved for youth to be able to come together to do way more and you have time to then take a break when everything is like when when you need a break and you have burnout you have other people who can pick up where you left off so I think that's really important and thank you so much for bringing that up yeah no problem there was I think new for this year uh, there was also the children and youth pavilion so never before in any UNF Treble C Corp has there been has there been a pavilion dedicated to youth needs and youth events, and I think there there's dozens upon dozens of articles and posts online about how busy the youth pavilion was with you know not just young people but um, adults and those at the highest levels of climate decision making coming along to the events seeing what's happening. Uh, there was a, like a really, really beautiful mural on one of the walls of the pavilion. There was art projects. There was a climate clock that was always being presented there and ticking down. And there was coffee machines. But I, I it, it was a net, like, for me, that was like my hub. If ever I felt overwhelmed with navigating the, the conference center, because it was huge and there was limited sign postage, I was always like, hone back to the children youth pavilion and yeah i think it speaks to the sense of blogging and togetherness that i get from quite a lot of other young people um within the movement because we have our, well, our values are very much aligned i would say yeah i'm so proud of young people i think we we, we are the future not i think we, we are the future and i'm proud of us i really am i think so many people did amazing things at cop and thank you so much for going there and being able to represent people who couldn't get there um, and being able to share that knowledge with everybody who wasn't able to get there. So thank you so much for that. No problem. Yeah, I recognize it was like, it was an immense privilege to have the opportunity to go. I know badges are incredibly difficult to get. Funding is incredibly difficult to get, but fortunately I was in a position where I was able to receive both. So apart a lot of it for me was, and we spoke about this as a delegation, about giving and getting. So you have a responsibility to 
do the work that that is is expected of us as delegates when you're at the conference um so as to make sure that your badge is not one that's wasted or could have been spent on somebody else who maybe could have contributed something different um but equally it's a space to maximize the the use that you get out of it as an individual because for me I'm currently considering whether I could or should go to COP28 but for me uh at the moment like COP27 was a like once in a lifetime thing and so I wanted to make the most of it. Well I think you're doing an amazing job and you should be very proud of yourself so again thank you so much for coming on to the podcast is there anything else that you wanted to add? I don't think so. I mean, if if anybody watching, I'm not sure when this podcast episode will come out, but if anybody uh, listening or watching um, is from the UK, uh, Future Leaders Network, uh, as of right now, which is the, the 20th of, of November, are currently recruiting for their COP28 delegation. And so if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, I think, um, and you're a UK citizen, you can apply to go to COP28. You can also apply to be on the UK Y7, so the Youth G7, a uh, Y20, which is Youth Youth G20 uh, delegation as well, which I would highly, highly recommend you do. But yeah, if this podcast episode comes out later than the deadline, uh, this is something that Future Leads Network does every year. So if not this year, and you can keep applying uh, as many times as you like. So if not this year, next year. Yeah, definitely send me that information so that I could put that in the description of the podcast. So for people who want to, they can just easily get to that. So definitely send me that. Okay, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. No problem. So that wraps up my discussion with Hannah. And now we are going to be moving on to our next youth activist. Our next youth activist is Sophia Luna, and she is an 18-year-old activist from Lima, Peru. She's a second-year anthropology student at the Universidad Nacional Mayor de San Marcos. Sofia is the grandchild of an indigenous and immigrant family living in the Comos district. There, she grew up observing how inequalities and the consequences of the climate crisis affected her community directly, causing health issues and food shortages. This inspired her activism, and since she was just 14 years old, she's advocated for social justice, gender equality, food security, and clean energy. As a result, in 2018, she received the Civic Medal of Honor of the Comos District. Currently, she's a part of organizations such as Re-Earth Initiative, Ola Sustainables, Latinas for Climate, and was elected as a representative at the Metropolitan City of Lima at the Youth Environmental Commission of Peru, where she's also the youngest member. On November 2022, she attended COP27 to present Pescando Opportunidas, a short film produced as part of the audiovisual project Life on the Frontlines of Re-Earth Initiative. So I'd love to welcome Sophia. Thank you so much for the opportunity of participating. It is, it is very exciting to share this whole experience that has been COP27. And hopefully we can discuss everything and, and invite more young people to join next conferences. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. So could you please describe your experience at COP27 as a youth activist? Yes, I definitely think that it has been a very overwhelming experience. I know that's, well, I was part of my country's delegation and we had like an introductory session where, where they guided us through what our country's priorities were 
and the conference works like not completely but like quite a small introduction a brief introduction to get to know other people in the delegation and everything but i know that for a lot of young people that attended cop they did not have the, those opportunities of getting to know what they were going to to see at the actual venue and i think that's that that's very sad because you get to this place, it's huge, you see so many people, you don't know where to start, you're not staying probably two weeks, just one or a couple of days. And I knew that it was going to be a very crowded space and a big space because it's an international conference, but I was not expecting <laughs> to see so many things happening around. So it has been my very first conference of the parties. And when I got there, it was it was a very overwhelming experience. There were a lot of pavilions. There were a lot of people walking around. There were a lot of events happening at the same time. And the maps were quite confusing. And also the negotiations rooms were in a separate building that was not very close to where the the pavilions were and where like most of the people were walking around. And I think that was very discouraging and that kept a lot of young people from from getting to listen to the negotiations and and everything because it was quite far away i also think that my experience at cop 27 was maybe very different to what other conference conferences might have been like because as a girl as a woman in egypt it did not feel like a safe environment. I know that a lot of uh, other young activists, a lot, a lot of other girls were having uh, problems at the streets. They were um, experiences, experiencing harassment. It, it definitely did not feel like a safe space. Another thing was the fact that protesting was not allowed. And we did not feel also free to just speak up for what was happening in negotiating rooms. Participating in COP27, especially when we had a children youth pavilion for the very first time, felt like we were being included. But at the same time, it did not feel like we were being included at the actual decision-making spaces because we had a lot of events at the Children's Youth Pavilion that was perfectly organized. Like the people that were working on the pavilion did a really great job. But I, I still have to say that even though we were having events about how important it was to promote youth participation and how important it was to 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 talk about the issues that were affecting our communities, most of the times we were talking about youth and youth empowerment between the youth that were in the conference, like between each other. We were we were having participation of like authorities, but I think that they were there because we brought them there, not because a lot of adults were actually interested in what was happening at the pavilion. And that was quite discouraging. I definitely think that that's something that we need to work on uh, for future cops. And... I think that's something that we should also work on is how many resources we give to young people attending these kind of conferences. Because most of the time we come from underrepresented communities, from under-resourced communities, and the world of international politics 
and international conferences might be quite scary and might discourage a lot of a lot of people that are, are from these communities that are facing the, the consequences of the climate crisis um it might be like sending them to this space that will not welcome them that will not allow them to actually represent those communities so i i feel that i had a very privileged experience thanks to the resources that my organization provided me and thanks to having a support network at the conference but i cannot imagine how it was for for other young activists that were going without those kind of resources it was quite exciting the first days because we were like oh my god okay so this conference is starting we are going to be able to do so many things uh we're going to be able to meet our authorities and talk to them and all of that stuff but at the end of the conference i think that the overall experience was interesting it was um a particular experience because we started with that enthusiasm of actually being at a space where action was going to be taken where no more anti-provinces were going to be made maybe that was a little too ambitious but at the end of the conference it was at least for me more a feeling of desperation but at the end i think it was more a feeling of of desperation because the actions that needed to be taken in order to tackle the climate crisis were not as precise as they should be were not as radical as they should be and i think that the documents reflect that because even though we've secured the fund for loss and damage we still need the specification and the and the next steps that we're going to follow to get that money to the communities that are being affected and i think that the documents were very discouraging for for us as young people uh, trying to push this this kind of policies, but but yeah, I definitely think it's an it's an experience that I would like to to have again. Um, maybe in different circumstances. I'm not sure if next COP is going to be a safer space. Hopefully, it will. I don't think it will though. But but yeah, that that was quite the experience. This part that I'm about to play was actually done after the podcast and you can hear the difference in the audio. Um, this is because this was such an important part of the conversation that we wanted to make sure was heard. So enjoy this part. Language was a barrier in these international spaces and seeing, for example, underrepresented communities trying to access decision-making spaces. For example, indigenous communities are forced to learn the language that the majority of their country speaks, leaving aside their native language. That is one. Then again, in international conferences, they are forced to know how to speak English to be able to participate in high-level events. And that is just not fair for these communities. And again, there is this problem with these translations where the message it's not as strong when you put it in, in a different language. The translations were not as accurate. And having this barrier is keeping people from these communities and from these sectors from participating in this high-level decision-making spaces. And that is something that we should work on. If we're talking about diversity in these international conferences, we need to talk about all sides of diversity. 
and and include as many languages as possible and and include as many communities and as many cultures as possible in uh, in the same way apart from that we were in a country that had a human rights crisis uh, the fact that while we were in COP27, there were political prisoners in Egypt asking for help from the international community because their rights were being violated and because they were being held because of their activism, because of their protesting. It was, it felt like just being at COP27, just being in Egypt felt like we were collaborating with with that with that situation and it, it did not feel good and it felt weird it felt uncomfortable I feel that it's also not fair the fact that the conference has ended and people are not uh, paying attention to Egypt as a country again not keeping up with the attention to this country when when we should be talking about what what was happening in Egypt while we were in COP27 there were so many world leaders that were present at that conference, but we should we should definitely start addressing these these things because even though everyone has left Sharm el Sheikh, they are still facing a human rights crisis. I'm sorry you had that experience of not feeling safe. I mean, I feel like for women in general, it's the world is not always a safe place for us. So mm -hmm. I'm sorry you had to experience that and other people had to experience that. And it's also crazy too to me that all cops, I feel like have been such, they just haven't been helpful in actually creating action. And we've been all these empty promises, like you said, and not actually doing anything and especially giving money and loss and damage to communities that are being impacted right now and have done the least amount yes, <laughs> yes. Crisis and they're being impacted the most um so yeah I'm glad that you got that experience to go and I hope you get to go again so now my next question for you is was there a lot of greenwashing did you feel like there was greenwashing in these negotiation spaces and yeah I think I I've heard my friends talk about how they were uh, going around the venue and visiting the different pavilions and I had this friend that told me that at the pavilion of the delegation of India there were a lot of uh or, well there was an event I'm not quite sure if it was an event or if it was like a display or some or of, of some messages or something but they were talking about the individual actions and how individual actions affect aggravate the crisis when we should be actually focusing on the big polluters and I think that was a clear example of greenwashing and I remember we were talking about this and we were like if this is happening at probably the most important place on earth to talk about climate policies I cannot imagine what is going on in, in other sectors and the the blindness of, of the international community to allow this to happen in such important spaces is definitely discouraging and terrifying because we've been talking about greenwashing and how important it is for governments to be held accountable for so long we've been talking about these things but greenwashing is still happening at these spaces and and that is just so unbelievable really 
Yeah, it's absolutely crazy that greenwashing is even allowed in a space where it's like, we're trying to fix the issue, but <laughs> here's some greenwashing to make you think we're fixing the issue. And I think that that is also something that correlates with how the space that we were in was a very, very privileged environment. We were in a space where maybe among the room and among the conference, this concept of sustainability, the concept of climate justice, and and just how environmental policy works, were very well-known like concepts and and things. But in other communities, in other frontline communities around the world, that is not the same situation. And under-resourced and underrepresented communities might not be as familiar with this concept so we need to we need to have that in mind when we're building new policies when we're building solutions that the situation that we were in in cop 27 of being surrounded by so many experts and so many politicians and so many people that cared about the climate crisis is not the situation in other parts of the world and that's why we should be uh pushing for other sectors to care about what we're doing, to care about the climate crisis and to care about the solutions that we're building. Because even though the climate crisis affects disproportionately vulnerable communities around the world, they're not the only ones that we sh that should be caring about this thing. It, it doesn't matter what sector do you belong to, you should be caring about it. You should be contributing to the solutions. You should be using the resources that you have available for the people that are building the solutions. So um, I definitely think that's something we should, that's something that we should be echoing. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I think it's so true that so much of the climate crisis gets put on the shoulders of people who didn't contribute to it as much as people in, in countries in the global north. And I think we need to start switching that narrative to not put all of the weight of the crisis on other people, but to equally distribute it so that we all can bring something to the table. Yeah. Another thing that um that that I think it's important to mention is that apart from greenwashing, there's also a lot of youth washing. I don't know if, if you if you if you saw but for example on Instagram my organization posted some information about youth washing. Uh, in collaboration with the Youth and Children Pavilion, we're seeing more as as icons, as saints, as as people that should be admired. When in reality, we want to be treated as equals. We want to be taken seriously, and I think that we can't be taken seriously when we have people that are idolizing the fact that we're participating because that's that's keeping them from seeing us as equals and from taking us seriously. And that's, I think that's very hurtful. That's very hurtful because how are we supposed to to promote the, the environmental policies that, that are going to help our communities? How are we supposed to, to ask for them to show us the money? How are we supposed to ask for right call decisions to tackle the crisis? It's, it's just very, very terrible that those two things are happening. I think honestly, to not be taking youth seriously when we are going to be impacted in the next 50 years. I mean, we're already, people are already being impacted, but mm -hmm. we're going to be impacted the most because we're going to be here the longest. So to not have us in those conversations and to not take youth seriously, especially again, like we keep mentioning, 
from communities who are already being impacted the most in frontline communities, it's ridiculous to me, but at least we're, <laughs> we're taking the spaces that we should be taking. We're starting to become, we're not waiting for other people to offer that space for us. We're going into those spaces and I'm mm -hmm. proud of we're doing so good. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think another thing to add to that is that we are taking the spaces, as you said, but also it's important to, to see that or to recognize that we are taking these spaces, not because it is nice to take these spaces or because not, not because it is nice to, but because it is a need to it is a must to for us because as you said we're being affected we will be dealing with with the consequences of the political decisions that are made today so when we ask for resources when we ask for funding when we ask for representation we're not asking for any favors we're we're not asking for any favors we're asking for for things that are necessary because our future is not negotiable our the suffering of our communities is not fair and what is fair is is us to be included in these spaces yes finger snaps and claps for that <laughs> we deserve these spaces yeah so lastly what is a key takeaway or any takeaway from cop 27 that gives you hope i think that a key takeaway from this specific conference is the fact that the countries have agreed and with the loss and damage fund. But we need to still follow up what's going to happen with this fund. What are how is it going to be executed? Um and as many other young activists have been saying, we don't only need the countries to say that they're going to implement a loss and damage fund, but also to pay to actually take action for this money to get to the communities that are being the most impacted. And I think that that's one takeaway and one thing to follow up for next COP. And something that gives me hope is definitely that COP is, or at least this COP for me was a space where I got to meet a lot of really, really nice people that were doing amazing things. And that is very encouraging as someone that, is living in the global south and as someone that is trying to to start with community actions to push our local and national authorities to take action against against the climate crisis and that's what gives me hope to see that people are willing to gather and people are willing to negotiate it is still not enough there are still a lot of things that we need to do and i need a lot of people that we need to bother in order to get solutions but definitely I would encourage more people to get involved in their local communities with the local governments, with organizations to bring the voices of the communities to 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 the decision making spaces. I think that it's important to to include community based solutions and to work with the communities to bother our authorities and to just put pressure in, in, in them and to remember to remind them that we will hold them accountable for their promises. One of the high level champions of COP27, uh, I don't remember his name though. Well, he was an authority. He went to the Chilean Youth Pavilion to have a conversation with us. And I, I told them that 
even though we were young people, even though we might have not had the same experience as other as other people that were attending COP27, we still, we were going to hold them accountable for the promises that we're making, that they were making in the, in the Unit and Children Pavilion. And that's basically what I told what I told him. Like we're going to hold you accountable for your promises. And then people were like, "Oh, I I heard that yesterday you challenged one of the UN high level champions." And I was like, "I did not challenge him," but um, I mean, I was not trying to do that. But I think it's super important to bring this kind of uncomfortable conversations to the table because at the end of the day, these are things that we need to get over and that we need to discuss in order to actually find meaningful and tangible solutions to not continue within with the empty promises that were being made. And I, I really like something that one of the, again, UN high-level champions mentioned, and is that as young people, we need to be very specific with the proposals that we have and the proposals that we're bringing to the decision-making spaces. Because... I think that something that I saw in COP27 was that we talked a lot about youth empowerment. We talked a lot about us in decision-making spaces, but something that might help us more actually get our voices heard is to have that kind of specific proposals. What what do we want exactly? Apart from, for example, the loss and damage found that where, I mean, for the loss and damage found, to to be implemented to be secure in this in this conference activists have been key and and countries that are being affected have also been key uh but for example that is an that is that is an example of what we can we can achieve if we have specific specific proposals and i definitely think that we should keep up with the work <laughs> i'm glad that you challenged him yes don't feel bad for that <laughs> good that you challenged that was funny though (laughs) yeah I'm glad you did that you have to do that sometimes we have to do that in those spaces and challenge people who are just kind of like we go back to greenwashing you know greenwashing and saying we're gonna do this no well we're gonna hold you accountable so you will yeah it's important to remember to remind the the people sitting in the positions of powers to take the initiative and visit our pavilion where most of the young activists were were having very interesting conversations about what was happening in our communities and how we were being affected. Because again, it's it's not only about having a space where we can talk to each other as, as young people, but also a space where they as adults can can be interested in what, what we have to say. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experiences at COP27 and your knowledge of everything that happened there for people who weren't able to go or for people who are still trying to get go process and go through everything that happened there. So thank you so much uh, for joining. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I hope that we can hear the experiences of more uh, young people that attended COP and and how it was for them. So that wraps up my conversation with Sophia, but we have one more youth activist on this episode, but don't forget there will be other youth activists in the coming weeks who share their experiences at COP as well. But let's get into our next and last guest speaker for this episode, and our last guest speaker is Victoria Wallen. 
Victoria is an environmental justice activist with particular focus on decarbonization, sustainable land use, and traditional ecological knowledge. She's currently the social media fellow with Action for the Climate Emergency, otherwise known as ACE, as well as a sustainable land use fellow in her second year of law school at the University of Oregon. She has a passion for using artvism such as poetry and spoken word to educate others and uplift environmental justice issues. So I'd love to welcome our next guest speaker, Victoria. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear about your COP experience. So do you mind just describing a little bit about your experience at COP27 as a youth activist? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely an interesting one. Definitely had its highs and definitely had its lows. I would say the highs were just having the opportunity to be there and especially being there at the first ever Children and Youth Pavilion and having that in such like a prominent space. The layout of COP is kind of interesting where there's a lot of walking around, kind of a lot of getting lost. It was like a big maze, but there was always a focal point And I feel like it was always the children and youth pavilion and so it was just amazing to have like an actual space for panelists for people to connect it had like meeting rooms it had this little area where you could just sit down and talk to people then it had its little stage and so it was just really nice to be there and be surrounded by other youth activists from varying ages and from varying countries and backgrounds and just seeing us all together like fighting for one thing which is you know uh justice and this climate crisis and so that was just really uh a super big highlight and I made so many connections and I that's something that I will be taking away with me and I'm just super excited to use it and to grow those relationships in this environmental field you know I feel like for youth activists it's kind of hard to connect in this scene I feel like a lot of people when they think of environmentalists they think of like the old white men like conservationists and things like that but really it's the youth that are having such a prominent part in these discussions and these negotiations and that brings me to the bad side of COP where as a youth activist is that they're while they did have this little, you know, place set up for us, it was still very hard um, accessibility wise, not just getting to COP, but once people got to COP, a lot of um, my youth comrades had difficulties with like their housing and their hotels. And then when you get to the venue itself, a lot of them had difficulties, you know, getting their badges, getting passes, getting to the negotiations, sitting on these plenaries, visiting these press conferences. It was very inaccessible for most people. And that has to do in part with the location itself. We've been Egypt for crying out loud that is not the easiest place to get to nor the safest place for a lot of um, youth activists especially you know LGBTQ plus youth activists women people of color and things like that so there was a lot of um, I kind of like cognitive dis dissonance in a sense like it was just very weird it felt very almost kind of like a car show or something like that where it's just like a bunch of different countries and corporations and businesses all kind of flashing and peacocking what they have and they're like green innovations quote unquote um and so the youth presence while it was there it wasn't as strong as it could have been you know especially if you like compare it to Glasgow which had like a pretty big like a super large youth um attendance which I which is what prompted you know the children and youth pavilion to come into play but otherwise, I would say the experience was super enriching. It was super empowering. And it just made me realize that we are still in this crisis. 
we really have to, you know, keep doing so much to make sure that we don't get reach that limit of like 1.5 degrees Celsius. And there's still a long way to go. But it made me hopeful, you know, seeing all these youth around and all these um, indigenous and BIPOC activists, you know, fighting for their place, fighting for their seat at the table and, you know, getting the justice and the um, stuff that they need. So, yeah. I love that. I think a very common theme I've been seeing is that the community within youth is what is kind of driving people to be hopeful. And that's what makes me hopeful too. So it's like, I'm happy that youth are starting to become more inclusive and that people are starting to not only listen to youth, but invite us into these spaces, whether they want to or not, because we're, we're making our way to. Right. Exactly. And we need to, we need to be in these spaces. And I really love how you say like a car show. I really like that analogy. Oh, it's so true. I feel like cop, a lot of it is just showing off and saying, well, we're going to do this and we're going to stop pollution. But how, you know, how are we going to do that? Right, exactly. We're like that the dissonances, it's like they, they bring these ideas, but then they don't go any steps further and they don't have like continue those conversations so it's kind of like why are we here to begin with I don't know what's going on yes exactly <laughs> and I think that kind of gets into the next question of was there a lot of greenwashing at this event <laughs> I would say yes a lot of people are deeming like this cop in particular just like greenwash 101 like hashtag cop 27 greenwashing if you just like look at all the different things just to put this uh this conference on in itself you know coca-cola was one of the biggest sponsors of cop coca-cola is also the biggest plastic polluter in the world so it's kind of like okay weird choice to have you know give you billions of dollars to put this on and then some people will view that as like well they're trying to change and things like that when it's like are they are they trying to change for example so the only thing you could drink at cop were coke products and i don't even want to get into the food of it all because that's like a whole nother conversation you could probably have a whole nother podcast about the lack of food that was there and like the changes between like the first week and the second week but i digress the only drinks there were coca-cola products and they were in glass bottles so you had coke you had regular coke sprite fanta um, and then the water option was these boxed water bottles. Um, and so awesome that they, you know, were in glass. That's an improvement. Not so awesome that there was no glass recycling <laughs> at all. And so it's kind of like, what do you mean? And then, the, you know, the COP27's PR team has like deep ties to big oil. There were over 600 fossil fuel delegates that were present at the event, that were in these spaces, that were sitting in seats that should have been given to other people, other organizations, especially since loss and damage was on the table and such a big and important part of the conversations. And if you compare it to, once again, last year, last year also had a record number of fossil fuel delegates and this year blew it out of the water and so you're kind of like seeing you're seeing people who are kind of taking this movement and using it against us one of the big reasons that we were there was not only to just uplift youth voices and other youth activists but also to showcase the the kind of trend that's going on now where it's less of climate change isn't real and it's more of 
that greenwashing, that woke washing, that spreading disinformation and misinformation, especially from these big fossil fuel corporations, especially like Coke or like Google. One of like the videos that I did while I was there was Google on their greenwashing where they said, you know, they wouldn't pay for any ads from big oil and fossil fuel corporations. And yet when you search terms like hydrogen, carbon and carbon dioxide, other environmental terms, sustainability, things like that. The first ads that will pop up are from Exxon. They're from Shell. They're from Arco and things like that. And so it's like, what's going on here? And just overall, like I said, it was a car show. It felt very performative. Um, and it was just also very inaccessible for the public. And the, like I had mentioned before, the layout itself was just very strange. And you had to walk a lot of places. It was a big map. And there are traditionally two zones. The blue zone, where all the formal stuff happens and all those pavilions and things like that. And then the green zone, which is more of like the art gallery, the public. It's open to the public. You don't really, you don't need a pass to get to that. And what I did like about COP this year is that they used that area to promote lots of local Egyptian businesses, um, local people, local universities and schools and things like that. So that was amazing. But it was still super inaccessible to get there. Originally, you're supposed to be able to walk from the blue zone to the green zone, except they had put it across like this major highway, like or roadway strip so you really couldn't walk there so th at the first day they were like yeah we're gonna shut this down you have to take a bus to get there so then you had to take this one bus and there was only like two of them so you had to wait I think we waited like 45 minutes one time for one bus just to get there so that was really crazy and then you had to have like this pass on your phone to get scanned in even though it's free and so for like the local community they're not going to have access to this. And that's really what it is for. It was for the local community and to like boost their sales, boost their audience and who they're getting to. And yet people just couldn't get there. Um, and it, and just things like that. There was a lack of intention, I think, for a lot of parts. You kind of, when you're walking in or you're driving in on the bus, which is like the only way you can get there is the bus. And then you're like... How much how much is this bus running on how many how much things are we doing and then you think about all the people that are coming to egypt all the planes and we are right next to the airport and so every second you see every single plane that like comes in because they fly so low as well and it's a ton of planes and then you think about the private jets that people are taking and then you think about the president and how he flew in for probably like literally i had the i had the opportunity to sit down when he came um to talk and like announce everything and then you're just thinking about how he literally flew in for that one 30 minute talk and then left again and so you're kind of like well what was the point of you even coming just to talk about the inflation reduction act which you can just read in the news and then you think about you know afterwards what happens to all the stuff that they set up this these this wasn't done at an actual building there was this one conference place but most of all it was tents it was infrastructure that they built up itself and so then it makes you think about the waste afterwards you get to design your pavilion so whatever country or organization is there you get this budget you can pay for how big or how small you want you can get like little booths you can get huge pavilions with broadcasting rooms stages different things etc cetera, etc cetera. and you get to design it but you don't get to keep any of it. Um, and so then it's like, where is that going? Because it's definitely not going to be reused for last year. And so you just think about all the things that are like going into it and you're like, oh, it's kind of, kind of icky in a way.
Yeah, and I like how you brought up about an excess, like how things aren't accessible. And I think there is a lot of intention. I think a lot of it is purposeful. I don't think Mm -hmm. they would make it hard for world leaders to get somewhere or inaccessible if it was quote unquote, what they say is important, even though all of it is important. And I would argue the local and the youth pavilion and the the local pavilions and all that stuff that you're describing are way more important and doing way more than the greenwashing negotiation rooms where nothing really was happening or getting done what it sounds like yeah um yeah very stuff did happen you know there's like lots of progress and hope but then on the flip coin on the others on the other hand there's not so it's just like yikes yikes (laughs) yeah and of course like I 100% like stuff definitely got done with like loss and damage and stuff but I'm just I always am like skeptical (laughs) exactly but I'm glad that you were able to go to those spaces and were able to get to the spaces that seemed a little more inaccessible because, you know, local support and supporting other youth is the most important part of the whole climate crisis and the whole climate Yeah, crisis. no, exactly. It was, it was great to have the opportunity, but then you just, like I said, you're just sitting on these buses and you're just thinking on like your 45 minute bus ride back to your Airbnb, like, man, <laughs> these are all things that could have been better if they just put a little bit more thought and a little bit more intentionality into it. And that's like what's what's missing, I think. And in, in the climate crisis and the climate conversations overall is the intention behind the words that people say and behind the actions that they do. And there's that lack of intention because they just don't care what happens, you know, to the people who are most vulnerable. And that's, that's the sad truth. And before if we want any type of change like that kind of mindset that kind of framework we either have to shift it shift it or we have to kick those people in power out and you know I feel like we're doing the second half more often than the first snaps claps yes we we need new we need new people in government and new people in power in just general so I 100% agree with that um so what is a key takeaway from COP27 that gives you hope for the future? Definitely. A key takeaway is the youth itself, the impact of the youth, the impact of BIPOC youth, especially, especially the youth from the global south. I will say they turned up and they showed out every single day from basically the, I think the COP opened at like 8 a.m. just around there and would go on to as late as like 10 o'clock at night sometimes just because of like negotiations and things and from the very morning to however long the day goes they'll be out front and center in these pavilions in these spaces taking charge they would do these amazing protests and chants um all about you know, climate justice, reparations, loss and damage, demilitarization, things that the fossil fuel and the far right and all these political leaders don't want to hear. And they were showing up and they were standing out. And like another example, during President Biden's speech, I was sitting just a few rows back from the indigenous youth that stood up and held their banner about ending fossil fuels. And that was like snatched out of their hands. And luckily they were not removed. I was I was happy about that. But, you know, their banner and their message was still snatched. They didn't have, 
you know, that seat at the table to voice their concerns and voice their opinions. And yet every day people kept trying and that was just so amazing to see. And just, it was especially amazing seeing all the youth that were on panels itself and, dip, and not just in the children and youth pavilion, but in the climate justice pavilion and these business pavilions at the United Nations press conferences itself. There was a whole um, side event uh, with the New York Times and Extreme Hangout that was at this hotel that also had panels and talks that was youth motivated and youth led. And it was just really amazing to see and just really empowering to just hear so many different voices and experiences and how they're working and their communities to, you know, bring back the knowledge so that they, you know, better the, the better the lives of their future generations and the generations that come. And that was that was definitely the highlight. That was definitely the key takeaway. And it's it was really kind of surreal being there as well as, you know, being there while midterms are happening. And I'm originally from Georgia. I still vote in Georgia. And so, you know, worrying about the stresses of that, worrying about, you know, the bad politicians that are in Georgia. And that's to be a whole nother podcast too, talking about the craziness of that. But it's just surreal seeing news reports and things about, you know, who's winning, who's losing, who's taking the House, who's taking the Senate. But all the news reports talk about the youth wave, the youth movement, how the youth keep coming to the polls, how the youth keep standing up, and how it's really our power that's like shifting the narratives on not just climate change, but also our political sphere, our economic sphere, just everything. And so hearing that and reading that, and then also being in Egypt and like seeing that and putting those two together, like it was pretty magical. It really was refreshing. It really put into my mind that I'm like in the right field. I'm in the right space. Like this is what I want to be doing. I want to help whatever community I can help I want to be the voice for the voiceless and that's what these people are doing like I sat on this one panel and this um she was so adorable she had just turned 10 and she was talking about how for her 10th birthday she was going to plant 10 trees and all her friends were going to plant 10 trees and that's what she's been doing as her birthday tradition when she turned nine she planted nine trees and she was just bragging how over her lifetime and her span in the global south she was from um an african country and she was saying how there she had the initiative to plant like over like i think like thirty thousand trees and stuff like that and she's only 10 and she's here she's speaking on this panel she's speaking to politicians she's getting stuff done and i'm like you are 10 like what is going on and so it's just really really crazy to see um and that's definitely the, the takeaway is that the youth are here we're here to stay our voices are loud and clear and we are not going to be you know backed into a corner nobody puts baby in a corner and we are just going to you know stand up and stand out and make sure that people get the justice and the reparations and the help that they need especially the global south and the other communities that are the most vulnerable and so that was definitely a takeaway and I think it also just feels good to uplift people mm-hmm. and be there to support and be in solidarity of people. And I always think that's kind of the best feeling too. And you can just show up and be there for people and support other people. And when you brought up the people who stood up in Biden's talk, it's just mind blowing to me. Like <laughs> you can allow fossil fuel companies to come in, 600 of them, and people standing up against 
the polluters is not okay like that's just- right it's, it's just wow. very backwards and like honestly that experience was low-key scary because I'm like I don't know how these people are going to react like I was really worried for them and I was only like a few rows behind and so I was like seeing up close and personal there was like this one security guard who was like super crazy and like it looked like he wanted to like take them out back or something and this one guy had to like talk him down and like they just had ended up taking the signs um and letting them stay till the rest of it but it was just like the security were eyeing them like a hawk and I'm just like it was such a peaceful non-violent um, act of civil disobedience and that's just that just goes to show that they don't want you here they don't want to hear what you have to say and that there's back to the intentions like there's there's no real intentions and that's why they kicked them out that's why they threw such a fuss and that's why they debadged them because they really don't want to hear what they have to say and it's just super super unfortunate but i i also love what you're talking about of just youth showing up we are here to stay we are not going anywhere and i really do have faith in the youth from just these past few years just seeing how we've grown as a movement and how we've grown to be more inclusive, how we've grown to have stronger voices. We've always had strong voices, but we're learning to use those strong voices. Mm-hmm. And I'm so like, it just like, I have chills. <laughs> it just makes me happy because I have faith in us, not the people who are currently in power or leading anything or CEOs of anything. I have faith in right. us. And we are going to be those next people. And we're going to be the people who are most impacted. So Exactly. It's our future at stake and it's the future of our children and our grandchildren and our great great grandchildren. And so it's really it's really up to us, I think. And it's unfortunate, but also it's it's just amazing to just be in our own kind of movement that, you know, I feel like we'll be in the history books. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is all going down in the history books. It all will be there. Um, But thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your knowledge from being at COP. I really appreciate that for the people who didn't go or people who did go and didn't get a similar experience or didn't haven't, you know, processed it all yet, because I'm sure it was a a lot like you've been saying it's a lot. Um, Yeah, I have climate anxiety, so I I can't even imagine. (laughs) Like I, I wasn't even there and I'm like freaking out. <laughs> I hear it yeah, definitely needed this week to like debrief. I'm like glad I have this Thanksgiving break just to like re-energize, recollect, reformulate, like, yeah, rejuvenate, relax. Definitely. Yes. You need that and you deserve it. You know, <laughs> Everyone deserves rest. Everyone. That's another. Important yes. Thing. Self-care is a form of protest. So everybody needs their rest. Yes. So thank you again so much. Is there anything you want to add or any last things you want to say? Um, yeah, I guess the final things is just speaking about more like the climate anxiety thing that people you are not alone. And the best thing you can do is to talk about it and to just share your experiences especially like with these podcasts, with your friends, with your family, whoever you need to talk to or whoever you need to engage with or whatever you need to read. Don't just, you know, fall into that climate doomism. There is still hope. There are still people making a change. It might not be so big. It might just be little small things happening in your community or your town or your home, but it's still making a difference. And yeah, just stay positive and don't let the doom and gloom get to you. I love that little addition at the end. You know, that's my whole podcast. So I love it. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me.
So with that, we've officially wrapped up this episode with our amazing youth activists, Victoria, Sophia, and Hannah. Thank you all for coming on to this podcast. It really means a lot to me. And I hope the listeners really, you guys are able to get that experience from COP, even though we weren't there, you know, (laughs) we weren't there, but we're able to hear from these amazing activists. So I hope that you get a little taste of what COP was like. Um, Just a little wrap up. Sounds like Coca-Cola being a sponsor is a huge problem. Um, We all kind of knew that going in, but it really was something that shouldn't have happened, especially even the fossil fuel reps as well. Why are they there? We're not even going to get into that because we know that's an issue. Um, But it also sounds like on a positive note that youth really got to have their voices heard in this space that traditionally isn't accessible for a lot of people and a lot of youth. So I'm very happy that these activists were able to get that experience. Um, And hopefully we keep this energy going for future cops as well. But I hope you enjoyed listening to this amazing episode. And remember that we will have for the next two consecutive Mondays, there will be an episode from me about other youth activists as well. So we'll have about, I think it's going to be like eight more around eight more activists coming to share their stories and that will be the next two consecutive Monday episodes. So you're not going to want to miss these. You're going to want to hear the amazing stories that these activists and the experiences that these activists are sharing with us and I'm so thankful for them for coming on. So thank you so much for listening and always remember to stay hopeful and create positive change.